Today we're going to have part three in this sermon series called Prepare Him Room. You know, there was no room for them in the end that night. We hear in the song, Joy to the World, let every heart prepare him room. This is a busy time of year. There's a lot of stuff going on. There's noise all around us and energy and activities. It's easy to leave out an opportunity for God to work in your heart in this special season. And so we were talking about preparing him room for him to do an unexpected work in you, to show his goodness and grace to you in a unique and special way. And today we're gonna talk about this aspect of how we prepare our hearts for him to do a work in us through worship. We're gonna talk about true worship from Matthew chapter two. If you wanna turn there in your Bibles or on your mobile device, your Bible app, Matthew chapter two, we're gonna look at verses one through 12. As we come to this passage regarding the wise men, wise men, Jesus has been born. Uh, The angels have sent the shepherds into town. They've announced his birth. And now it's uh, several months, perhaps as much as a couple of years later when the wise men from the east show up. And we've been having little videos to introduce each of these messages uh, done by our Center Stage uh, Creative Arts Ministry of Children and Students. And uh, they're going to share a little bit of a snippet for us of the text of Scripture and some dramatization around this. Watch this video to let your heart and mind get into this text of Scripture. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who's been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. There, the star stopped. Well, technically, stars don't stop. They're constantly moving. It's actually really interesting. These beautiful astronomical objects that actually rotate around their their own gravity. Get their name. So simple. Star. Thank you for your insight on stars, gentlemen. <clears throat> Once again, the star has stopped. You are correct. The star has appeared to stop. I wanted to bring him everything I have. Sam, I really hope this is enough. But you know, it's not about the amount. That's what the world says. It's about giving him your best. Something that costs you something. And that's your heart. These are our tokens, but our love and affection are our shepherds. Let's go see the Messiah. He is worthy of it all. He is our Savior. He is holy. Prepare him room. 
when we worship our God, truly we prepare room for him to work in our hearts and lives. As we look at Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, I want us to focus on this, that as we grow in our worship of Jesus, our hearts open wider to him. The more you worship privately as a family, collectively as a church, in person, online, if that fits the needs you have at this time, as we worship, our hearts are open more and more to him as we focus on him. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Maybe uh, you've come here to Calvary for a couple of weeks or several months and you, you've been skeptical of what you've heard about the good news of Jesus and maybe you've tried to wrestle with this idea that there's nothing you can do to save yourself or to gain forgiveness with God. It's all because of that baby that was sent and how he lived a purpose a perfect life, and he went to the cross, was buried and rose again, you struggle with the concept of why Jesus came, the claims he made, and that the scriptures teach he can, we can only have a relationship with God through Jesus and what he did, and you wrestle with that. Maybe you've been wrestling with that for some time. Can I encourage you to keep seeking him? One thing you can do if you wrestle with that message of that good news found in Christ is I'd encourage you to just take the book of John and read one chapter a day through the book of John, it's one of, those, one of those lenses we have on the life of Jesus and read through with each chapter a day just saying, God, show me Jesus and who he is. Help me know how to believe. And the book of John just lays that out so beautifully. Maybe you're here today and you say, I'm kind of at the end of that searching. I've been searching and I believe Christ died for me. I, I haven't yet rested my faith in him, but today I'm doing that. Well, can I encourage you to just Pray where you are and acknowledge that before God that you need Jesus as your Savior and receive him. And uh, we'd love to have a conversation with you. I'd love to celebrate with you. I'll be out on the patio after the service. You can talk to me. Our care and prayer team will be down here after the service to pray with any need or burden you might have to pray with you about that. You can meet them here. Or if you're online or in the room and want to text the name Jesus to the number below me on the screen, uh, we'll make a connection with you, send you resources to help you grow in Jesus. We'll have someone on our team follow up with you. Even if you have questions, or maybe today you've, you've received Jesus and you want us to celebrate with you, just text the name Jesus to that number and we'll follow up with you and make sure you know what it means now to walk with him. Perhaps you're still seeking. Perhaps you're still searching. Let the book of John speak into your life. Maybe as God's child, some stuff has happened in the last year, in 2021. Maybe there's been a death of a loved one, a financial crisis, a business thing, a, a job situation, a health thing that's come along that has just sort of made you feel like you've been drifting from God or your circumstances seem to have caused your heart not to be leaning in as much. Uh, again, Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I like how... Someone has put it, listen to this, if you can't find God, start worshiping and he will find you. Whatever you've been going through, now is the time to lean into Jesus. What a beautiful season, what a beautiful week to just lean into who he is. You see, true worship brings deep joy when it encounters the great God. We're gonna see that in the story of these men, how they come and they come with a heart full of worship. Every time you see the word worship in this text, it's not just a word of respect or, or just honoring someone that is important. It speaks of humbling yourself and exalting and praising that other person. True worship brings deep joy when we encounter the great God. When the wise men 
find that baby with his mother, they fall down before him and they worship. And it says that they are overjoyed. True worship brings deep joy when it encounters the great God. Let me give you six things this morning about true worship that we need to understand. For our hearts to be open in worship, to be ready to be molded, shaped, and changed. Number one, true worship demands focus because it disrupts life. You could have been doing other things this morning to be here with us on campus. You could be doing other things other than joining us online. You daily could be doing something else rather than spending some time with the Lord in your own quiet time of reading the scriptures and praying and worshiping God. When we prioritize worship and we put a focus on it, it can be disturbing. It can be unsettling. Look at these men listed here as those who came to find the king of the Jews to worship him. Verse 1 of Matthew 2, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Judea, during the time of King Herod, he was a puppet king appointed by the Romans, not liked by the Jewish people, magi from the east came to Jerusalem. Magi, these are wise advisors to some ruler in the east, probably in the area of where the Persian Empire had been so strong. Uh, These kind of individuals would have been astronomers. They would have collected wisdom from other cultures. They would have looked for supernatural resources represented in these various cultures, and they would advise. They They were very influential people in the land they came from. And they come seeking this this baby that's been born. And it says, they came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So we see his star. We saw it when it rose in the sky. Now, there are some Old Testament prophecies regarding a star, but they seem to have more specific information. You see, if you go back several hundred years, the leader of the, leader of the Magi would have been a Jewish man in captivity named Daniel, who's one of the great Old Testament prophets. And it's very probable that they have information that Daniel had given them in prophecy that's not recorded in Scripture, but they've been holding on to, and from generation to generation, they've been looking for this star that would point the way to the Messiah, the one who would be born King of the Jews. And now they've shown up in Jerusalem expecting to find that one. Now, we often think there are three. Well, the only reason we think there are three wise men is because they had three gifts. We've assigned them names. Their names are never mentioned in Scripture. We sometimes think they must have been there that night right after the shepherds, when in reality they probably showed up months, maybe even up to a year and a half or two years later. Um, And so they leave their land. It's very disruptive. They get together an entourage to travel across uh, hundreds of miles to come to Jerusalem to follow that star. And um, uh, scholars tell us it could have been 100 to 300 people in their entourage Look at the intentional focus they have. You see, when we're going to worship, it demands focus because it disturbs life, and their lives, lives were disturbed, but they had this purpose and this focus to worship the one they've been waiting for. And we need to have that kind of focus. You think of how Job, after all was lost in his life, how he fell down and worshiped God. You think of Abraham, who was called by God to to worship and give up his own son, and then God steps in and provides the perfect sacrifice after he sees the willingness of Abraham's heart. We think of Mary, as we saw in her song last week, how she gives her life to be the mother of the Messiah in worship, worshiping our God disrupts life. She sang, my soul magnifies the Lord. There's David who 
when he's on the run from King Saul, hides in the caves of Adullam. He's all alone in the dark for months, and from there come some of the sweetest psalms that we have in the book of Psalms. But his life was disrupted, and yet he worshiped God. And then there's Hannah, who was barren and had no children, was begging God while she was worshiping God for a child, and God gives her a boy, and that boy becomes the priest and prophet who's so influential in his generation, Samuel. Worship is disruptive. It interrupts our lives. But we, we need to have a focus in understanding how important it is. Worship isn't always easy, but it's always worth it. Worshiping Jesus, lifting up his name, is so important for our lives. We need to keep our focus on how important it is to worship God. Secondly, true worship engages others because it values community. It values community. We can worship God in private. We can worship God with our families, and we should. But there is something throughout the Scriptures, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, about us gathering with other people to worship God. Worship is that which strengthens us, even in community. We each come as kind of logs on fire for the Lord, and we become this bonfire of praise as we gather and lift up our worship to him True worship engages others because it values community. Let's look at verses three and four. So they come, they've come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. Now there's a reason Herod the Great is disturbed. This is later in his reign. He's already killed a couple sons who were a threat to him, killed a wife who he thought was trying to manipulate one of her sons to take his job and to get rid of him. And so he's become a very paranoid, powerful, dangerous leader. And so he's disturbed when these individuals come say we're looking for the one who's been born king of the jews but they come kind of expecting everybody in jerusalem has already been worshiping this king they think this is natural that they're all going to come together and worship but notice it says king herod heard this he was disturbed and all jerusalem with him when you know the king is paranoid and just is dangerous and killing people this leaves the whole city on edge When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. So Herod says, wait a minute. (laughs) Uh, Let me get the chief priests and the studiers of the law, and they'll look at the prophecies, and we'll find out where this child is to be born. Now, you have to understand, the star brought them to Jerusalem because it probably brought them in the general direction. And they think that's where a king would be born, the capital city, but we know he was born in a stable in this shepherd's town of Bethlehem, as was prophesied, and the the chief priests and the the, uh, scribes will explain that in a moment to Herod. But they came to Jerusalem. They're close because Bethlehem is only six miles from Jerusalem. They expect everybody probably is worshiping, and they, they don't understand the opposition that Herod would have to this. But we ought to have that spirit of expecting to worship with other people. I know some have been limited to worship online, and I get that. I encourage you to lean in even as you do that and not take that for granted. Those who've been able to join us on campus, and every week we have more and more folks who uh, feel comfortable and are able to join us here. As we do that, this is so important for us together. There's diversity in worship, those who gather with us here and online. There's a diversity of backgrounds and socioeconomics and education levels and ethnicity. 
There, there's a lot of diversity within the body of Christ, and there are different people going through different circumstances. Every week, some folks come in kind of on that mountaintop. Life is good, and things are just humming, and then there are those who come in where they're down in the dark valley trying to struggle through life's problems. And when we come together, maybe somebody over here has just had a great week, and as they sing, they sing with gusto, and over here, someone's heavy-hearted and have a prayerful, humble spirit as they, they worship. But all of us together, as we come, we come with all of this diversity, but we come in unity. Why? What's the unity? It's the person and work of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit in us points to Jesus. God the Father has exalted him and given him a name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every tongue will confess and every knee will bow, that he is above all. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Our focus is Jesus, who he is. We come from different backgrounds, different experiences in the week. Some of us have known Jesus for decades. Some of us have known Jesus for days. There's diversity, but there's unity. There is something that happens when we engage in worship together in community. Galatians 3.28 says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We may even have differences of opinion on, on secondary things of, of scripture. We come together in unity. Rupertus Maldinius, who was a 16th century Lutheran theologian and pastor, is really the one who said a quote that's often attributed to Augustine, the great church father. And the quote is this, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. The, we need to be centered and united around the person and work of Jesus Christ, the good news of the gospel. And there can be a lot of diversity in so many other ways, but we need to love each other with the very love in which God has loved us. That's one of the beautiful things about being in a church assembly and prioritizing it, that we gather together and engage in worship. Thirdly, true worship avoids distractions because it prioritizes purpose. Is it easy for you to get distracted even while we're worshiping? I pray before every service that God will help us worship distraction-free. We often pray in our, as the worship team gathers in the back a few minutes before the service to pray together, We'll pray, you know, Lord, help nothing in the technology, the sound system, the video, help nothing that we do online or help, help nothing that we say or an attitude or uh, something we're doing here distract from the personal work of Jesus Christ. We want the focus to be on Jesus. So we read in verses five through eight, uh, the words of the scribes and their response to Herod, and they quote from Micah. And so he says, where is this Messiah to be born that these guys are looking for? In verse 5, the, the, these experts in the Old Testament law say, In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. And then they quote Micah. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. It's interesting. They say over there in Bethlehem, but none of them go to see if this is true. And Herod certainly has other motivations in his own heart and mind. We read in verse 7, Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star appeared. He's trying to figure out how old would this child be. Verse 8, He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And as soon as you find him, come back, report to me, so I too may go and worship him. 
But you know the rest of the story. You know that's a lie. He has all the children of the boys under the age of three killed because he's so threatened by this one who would be born king of the Jews. There could have been a lot of distraction created by Herod for these who come to worship from so far, the baby that's born to be the savior of the world, the Messiah, the king of the Jews, as they say. We need to avoid distractions because as we avoid the distractions, we prioritize our purpose. It's so clear in verse two, they've come to worship, they've come to exalt, they've come to praise, they've come to lift up his name. I've worshiped in some settings that it could be easy to get distracted. I remember on several occasions on the East Coast and uh, here in California where I've worshiped in jails or prisons and I'm sitting next to a chaplain and there's a worship band up front made of those inmates and they might say, oh, the drummer, he's been here 30 years, he's never getting out because of the crime he's committed. And they kind of take a deep swallow. And then, you know, the, the guitarist, he, he's been here two years, but he probably won't get out for 25 to 30 at least because of what he's done. And I, I start thinking, this is terrible to have these people, but then I realize they're saved by the same grace I've been saved by. And they're experiencing the consequences here on earth for the crimes they've committed, but they are indeed forgiven by God and they're, they're, they're leading in worship. And what could have been a distraction actually becomes unifying as I understand we have the same Jesus. And Satan wants to do everything he can to distract you with your phone or with something that happens here or to distract you at home with maybe a, a package arriving and the ring dinging on your phone telling you there's a package there. I remember when, uh, right after the war in the former Yugoslavia, Leslie and I were in Serbia right after the war, and we were there for a weekend of some teaching and worship, and they had no English translator uh, for us, and so they would be worshiping, and it was a small little uh, church there in the northern part of Serbia, and um, the men sat on one side, the women on the other side, these little thin benches. We were there for hours. We couldn't understand anything. There were mosquitoes, and it was hot, and, and it was a pretty uncomfortable experience. We're just sitting there for hours, not knowing really what's going on, except when they'd worship, you could identify with many of the songs they were singing. But I remember Leslie kind of looking over at me like, how did you get me into this when she's on the far side of the room? And I was kind of glad for that division at that moment. But then we've gone away from that saying that was one of our sweetest times in worship because we understood they were worshiping Jesus, and we joined in and worshiping Jesus with them. I remember right after seminary, I was in a church that had a very sophisticated choir and orchestra, a lot of professional musicians. And then we returned after serving there to our alma mater in West Virginia. And I went out to be a guest speaker in a church. And it was way up in a holler in the hills of West Virginia. And, and I got so motion sick getting there. I mean, I had stopped so many times to get sick and I came through the doors and there was a guy up front introducing the guest speaker. And he said, and here he is. And I walked in and kind of Kind of looked like I was drunk, staggered down the, the aisle. I got up front and I grabbed a hold of the podium and held on for dear life because the whole room was still spinning. And I preached my message. I sat down and the person leading the music said, Will the choir now come and we'll sing a special? The special will be hymn number 492. Choir turn to hymn number 492. We'll sing stanzas one and two and then have the congregation join us in three and four. And I thought, Oh no. This is their announcement to the choir. This is the song. This is their preparation. So they came up. There were 13 or 14 of them, and they held their hymnals. They just heard what they're going to sing a few seconds before, and they're ready to sing as a choir. And then the music begins, and they begin to sing this choir there at the conclusion of the service, and just this little church, and it looked like a pretty haggard group of people. And they began to sing. 
And it was awful. It was just terrible. It was just totally awful. And yet, at first, I got distracted, and then I realized they were singing from their hearts, and they were singing with all they had, and, and I began to really get in tune with what they were doing, and by the time we were singing the third and fourth stanza, I had tears in my eyes thinking, you know, there is something to be said for, yes, doing things with excellence, but the, the heart of what it's all about is where our hearts are, and are we focused on worship? Are we focused on lifting up Jesus? And true worship avoids distraction, distractions because it prioritizes purpose. Fourthly, true worship expresses humility because it confronts selfishness. There's something in us that always wants to promote ourselves. And when we worship, we really understand who we're worshiping, the God of the universe, the redeemer of our souls, who he is and what he's done for us. We fall down in humility before him. It expresses humility because it confronts our selfishness, our self-absorbed state of mind and how we lift ourselves up so much. Look at verses 9, uh, 10 in the first part of 11. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed, and coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped. They bowed down. They got on their faces before this baby because they knew who he was. He was the Messiah, not only the king of the Jews, but the king of the universe. And they exalted him, they praised him, they worshiped him as part of their response. Humility comes out when we worship and we sing and we hear from God's word and we're together and we realize our God is so great and awesome and worthy of our praise. James 4.10 says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Can I encourage you if you're a follower of Jesus today and this week as we come toward Christmas next Saturday, can I encourage you to just humble yourself before the Lord? Maybe just get up flat on your face before God and worship in your own home, your own private time, and just worship him for who he is. Maybe you can't get on the floor. Maybe you can just get on your knees. Maybe you can't get on knees. You can lean in a chair. If you can't lean in a chair, maybe slightly tilt your head forward. <laughs> but find a way to express to God your humility because of who he is, what he has done, and how he loves you. True humility comes out of a life that's connected with God in authentic, genuine worship. Fifth, true worship prompts generosity because it encompasses gratitude. They come with gifts. To give these gifts that are worthy of any royalty, these gifts to the newborn king, to Jesus, you see, worship and gratitude and being thankful are all wrapped together because in worship, we praise God for who he is and we express our gratitude for what he has done for us. Worship and gratitude are intertwined. Look at the last part of verse 11. As they bowed down and worshiped him, then we read, then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. There is a generosity that comes out of a heart that is grateful for who God is and what he does for us. Psalm 630 says, I will praise God's name in song and glorify him with thanksgiving. Psalm 95.2 says, let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. As we respond to who our God is, there is gratitude. And in that gratitude and thankfulness for who he is and what he's done for us, there is a desire to give, to bring honor and glory to him. 
And as we give in this year-end Christmas offering, we present to you the need. We've always done that. We try to do nothing to manipulate or uh, do anything like that. We present the need. There's no organization, no big one donor. It's all of us together. But as we give in this time of year, we give out of gratitude for who our God is, just like the wise men who had generosity in their response to the newborn king. True worship prompts generosity because it encompasses gratitude. Maybe this week you just need to express every day your gratitude. Maybe you thought that was over at Thanksgiving. Oh, it ought to continue every day. This week we ought to be really grateful. Just tell him how grateful and thankful you are for Jesus. Sixth and finally, true worship triggers obedience because it deepens commitment. True worship triggers obedience because it deepens commitment. A lot of people will say, you know what the real sign of worship is, is how high your hands are raised or how loud you sing or how far you fall on the floor or there'll be some, you know, some demonstration in some way that shows genuine, authentic worship. But I think in verse 12, something happens as they've worshiped God and their encounter with God and there's this deep joy as we read, they were overjoyed in verse 10. We read in verse 12, and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. God spoke to them through a dream not to return to Herod, and they went a whole different way so Herod would have no idea where that child was, and they obeyed God. One of the responses ought to be out of worship. After we've heard from God's word, after we've sung praise to him, as we've gathered with other brothers and sisters in Christ going through different experiences at different places in life, and we've all lifted up Jesus, is we ought to walk out in deeper commitment to walking in obedience to our God. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And as we come out of worship and express our love to him, we ought to live more closely to what he says to us in his word. We're to be more committed to living lives that please him. True worship triggers obedience because it deepens commitment. Richard Foster says, just as worship begins in holy expectancy, it ends in holy obedience. If worship does not propel us into greater obedience, it has not been worship. When you worship, do you come out and say, okay, how can I walk with Christ? How can I obey him? How can I live for him more? That ought to be the response of our worship. See, true worship, true worship brings deep joy when it encounters the great God. The wise men encountered the great God, and they were overjoyed. As we grow in our worship of Jesus, our hearts open wider to him. And if you're at a place where you say, I'm, I'm just struggling to really recognize God in my life for, you know, remember that quote at the beginning of the message, if you can't find God, start worshiping and he will find you. Are you being intentional about cultivating true worship in the regular rhythms of your life? Are you spending time with him alone in his word and prayer daily? Are you prioritizing being in worship with your family and with your brothers and sisters in Christ? Worship is critical for us. It's demonstrated in the shepherds and how they showed up at the manger and, and in the wise men and how they showed up to bring honor and praise to the one who was born to be the savior of the world. It's not always easy because life has its ups and downs. But whether life is on that high point or it's in the low point, we ought to be willing to worship our God because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. On December 10th, tornadoes ripped through Kentucky and other surrounding states. A little town 
called Bremen, Kentucky, was pretty much wiped off the face of the map along with other cities like Mayfield, Kentucky. Jordan Blaze and his family went to the basement and they heard the destruction happening above as their house was being torn apart. As they came up out of the basement, the roof was gone to their home, things destroyed. Jordan saw the piano. It was soaked with rain that came after the tornado. He went over to the piano, sat down, and um, he began to play his favorite worship song to the Lord. It was a song written by Bill and Gloria Gaither. There's something about that name. His response to this horrific storm that devastated so much was to lift up the name of Jesus. That's true worship. Some of you may have seen this on social media. I want you to see this video. You can see there's no ceiling or roof to his home, but he's sitting there at the piano right after coming out of the basement. His sister, who was visiting them when they had to all go to the basement, uh, took this video, and we put the lyrics to the song he's playing right beside the video so you could read those lyrics as he plays the tune. There's something about that name. Watch this video. I hear some of you singing that song. Josh is playing it now. There's something about that name. And I don't know what you're going through right now, good, bad, or ugly. Worship Jesus. This week of Christmas, worship Jesus. Josh is going to lead us through the main stanza and chorus of that song. Would you just sing along? Let's sing this as our prayer of worship to our God today. Jesus, 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 there's just something about that name. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for that name that means Jehovah's salvation. Thank you that the wise men went out of their way to worship you. May we go out of our way to worship you this week. 
There are a lot of great Christmas activities and celebrations and being with family and friends, but we, may we make room in our lives to worship you. And as we worship you, may that open us even wider to what you want to do in and through us. I pray for folks going through tough stuff, the storms of life. May they be able to just sing praise to Jesus this week. I pray for those who are maybe having a great week and great success and things are looking good. May they be able to sing praise to Jesus this week. And this Christmas week, help us to share the hope of Christ with others. And may our hearts live lives of worship and obedience to you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.